Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Stan Tatkin on looking at attachment theory in couples and romantic relationships. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm Karen Doyle Buckwalter, and I'm here joining you from Chaddock, and I'm so excited about the guests that I have today. Uh, All of our listeners, I think, are really going to appreciate what he has to say, but he has a particular area of expertise in looking at attachment theory and interpersonal nerve biology in working with couples and romantic relationships. So who I have for us today is Dr. Stan Tatkin. He is a PsyD and an MFT. He's a clinician. He's a researcher. Uh, He also uh, teaches um, at UCLA and he has a, a particular model which is called PACT, P-A-C-T, which stands for a Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy. He also has done work in self and object relations theory in his training in gestalt and psychodrama and family systems therapy. In addition, he was also part of Alan Shore's study group. Maybe some of you have heard of the study group that Alan Shore has that has been going on for a number of years, looking at brain research, brain science, interpersonal neurobiology. It's just like a real think tank and looking at how all of these ideas apply to our clinical practice today. Of particular interest to me is he is also a trained coder of the adult attachment interview, which is a uh, interview that I use and teach about and and like very much. Uh, He has even adapted the adult attachment interview somewhat and come up with something called the partner attachment inventory, which we'll touch on in this podcast. So I look forward to this discussion and I am quite sure it's going to be enjoyable for all of you out there listening. Experienced and proven strategies in the field of behavioral health straight from the experts at the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh Carlson for Attachment Theory in Action. This training will feature practical interventions to support your attachment-based clinical practice. Coming to a city near you, visit tkcchaddock.org to to learn more. Okay, so movement. So Dr. Tackney, you have me really intrigued because I, um, I'm also trained in video intervention therapy uh, with George Downing, and he looks so much at movement and body positioning and all of that in both the babies and couples. I've, I've reviewed couple tapes with him too. And so, well, so is it like you have a specific set of things you're watching for or things you ask yeah. them to do? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Um, so let's hear actually, a little about that. Uh, do you want me to talk now or wait? Yeah, right now. Yeah, well, go ahead. Um, you know, when I, after studying hundreds of hours of uh, strain situation, I noticed that uh, that the movements and the sounds the baby makes are the same ones the adult makes. Um, for instance, signal crying, right? The whiny tone, the fussiness of of the 
uh, of the clinging child. We call them waves, by the way. In the second book, we just changed the terms to make them friendlier. Islands yeah, are just- the wave and island. Waves, <laughs> yeah. Just so people, you know, are- It's been great. Uh, it's been great language to use. Um, and so uh, the wave babies sound very similar as the wave adults do. They do the same things. They react the same way to separations and reunions. They react the same way to turning the back. Uh, they react the same way uh, all of across the board. And so, uh, and so I started looking for these behaviors and these movements, uh, body. So you're saying grownups who are waves look, they have some of the same movements as a baby that would be ambivalent resistant in the strange situation, just to clarify for listeners. Yep. And then right down, right, right down to the whiny tone and the signal cry that doesn't make you sad. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. This is really intriguing. Yes. Okay. So go on. If you, if you want, when we're off air, I can, I can show you a video real quick. Okay. Of, of the example. So by stressing them um, uh, without their giving, a, being given a lot of instruction uh, of a moving object coming toward in the eyes, the eyes have to be there. Without the eyes, you don't get the result. No talking, the movement. We start to see uh, uh, micro movements and micro expressions in both partners, which we can track uh, with a verbal acknowledgement of this. Is this better, same, or worse than the moment ago? Better, same, or worse? It's in the uh, keeping it down to those three things is intended to force them to identify through recognition whether uh, I like this more or less or it's the same. Um, and, uh, and then we compare uh, the words with affect, the face, the voice, the timing, the movement um, during the speech and right after the speech. So, um, so we're, we're really watching very closest, closely to any micro expressions, micro movements, um, including if we can catch the heart rate, skin color, breathing. It's like Beatrice Beebe of like, but doing it with couples, micro analysis. And then you got also, now you're talking even about watching the physiology, which I know is part of your, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating. Okay. Keep going. (laughs) Yeah, and so so that's what we'll do. So so you you have uh, here's an example. Uh, okay. You have somebody who uh, uh, a female who's been distancing, uh, and he's been complaining that she's been distancing for uh, a year. Um, and uh, we do uh, this particular protocol, and uh, find that she um, not only can move very closely to him and feel excitement. Right, her body is completely relaxed. Her jaw is, is relaxed, or, and her, she could just crawl right into his body. Um, uh, somebody who's an island can't do that. They cannot do that unless maybe they're drunk or they're on some kind of uh, ecstasy or a benzodiazepine with a beta blocker. But they can't fake that, right? Um, uh, can't do that. So that rules out the idea that she is, in fact, a distancer. Why does she distance? She's angry and she's punishing him for cheating. Mm. So it's a whole different thing um, that if you just uh, had her in a chair and had them talk, uh, you might think otherwise. Uh, But this is the punishing, the talionic rage of a wave um, getting even. This is so interesting because it's kind of like... um... 
you know, did you come into the relationship this way or is what we're seeing a result of being in this relationship, right? Is that the question where? Yes, but somebody who can do what she does came into the relationship that way. You, you don't suddenly go from someone who right. is a distancer um, to somebody right. who can go right into the body of the other person. Right. So, so what I'm saying is, I guess, what I'm thinking is sometimes I will see in a parent-child relationship a parent who seems to be very withholding and cold and angry, um, and I would do an AAI, and they're secure, and they have a history of uh, good caretaking, but because the relationship has been so difficult, and for whatever reason, they've perceived the child as so rejecting yeah. of their love and care, they look... Uh, and. and, and Hughes and Balin talk about this a little bit, Dan Hughes, of a blocked care. Like their neurochemistry now has also been impacted. Like they're not releasing That's the right. neurochemistry of falling in love with a child. So, you know, I, I guess I'm just thinking of some of the similarities that, that that doesn't mean, oh, they were adopted by this very cold parent or something. Right. You're dealing, and, and this is why psychobiology is so exciting because um, you're looking at more than just one thing, uh, you know, as, as causal, uh, you know, I mean, there's, it's really the sky's the limit in terms of the complexity. The way I was looking at what you were saying is it's almost like a little bit of, Oh, but we can, we have a way to assess that by looking at, at this way, because if someone can do this, that's, then that that's a wrong hypothesis. Uh, yeah, I got the wrong. You got the wrong organization. Okay. Um, also through movement, uh, stress uh, that where we're stressing them, um, we can pick up uh, uh, disorganized uh, by movement, by posture. So uh, what does that look like? Uh, it, uh, it could look like with with a partner on approach, um, uh, a flash of terror, um, the body uh, reacting. Uh, so you just terror. ask them to to lean towards each other or approach each other, or, or you just it's 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 a whole protocol with okay. with uh, with a set of language okay. uh, instructions, so as not to over instruct or under instruct them. Okay, um, and it has to be repeated every time. Otherwise, you can't. Uh, you can't start to see patterns, right? If you change the protocol, so, but it is a stressor of a partner moving towards you at a rel- at, at a fair speed, fast enough to register an object moving toward you, uh, but slow enough to be able to see the reactions, right? Um, and consistent, and so you're getting both the person who is approaching and uh, and what is their appraisal of what is uh, what is the right place to stop. Right. Stop where you think you should is the instruction where they think they should, where they think they should is relative to uh, what they're feeling or what they're seeing or they don't even know. And then what the other person is experiencing, we ask, is this better, same or worse? We keep uh, stressing them by moving the partner all the way up to their face and watch uh, muscle movement. And uh, the important thing here is that we're catching them in the spaces it's very easy to see people move uh, with the movement or with speech. But what we want to see is what they do somatically after they stop talking and after they don't, after they stop moving, that's often where they reveal. 
um, and we're trained to look there, right? So, uh, and then uh, pull them away. Uh, a partner that, that went forward is now going back, moving backward, in the eyes, backward in the eyes. Then they turn their back to the partner, replicating uh, some experience, if it's in their memory, of having a back turned. Some people react, some people don't. Then they go outside the door, they close it, uh, leaving the partner in the room. Sounds like the strange situation, right? They return. We look for the gleam in the eye on the return. Um, and they're instructed either to reunite and hold it like statues to see what they do and whether they're able to fold in, whether they're able to use each other for recovery. Um, and we look at the bodies of both and the faces and the eyes of both to see where they are. Or we'll, we'll uh, give them uh, an invasion instruction to be completely ill-attuned physically um, as a way to, to see if what we think is going on is going on. Um, and so, you know, this is, this is just one uh, exercise to stress them um, to capture recognition systems because we don't want thinking. We don't want them thinking. We want them recognizing. Uh, that gets us closer to procedural memory, which is automatic um, and somatic, and that's more reliable than having them think, right? Having them think changes information. So we're, we're doing bottom-up things that are surprising. They can't prepare for it, um, like playing you know, music out of nowhere without them knowing that we're going to do it, uh, music that, that means something to them to see what they do. So all of this is really uh, to, uh, to uh, catch people in the act of being themselves uh, by structuring these uh, stressors in the moment, in the, in, the, uh, in the session. And that tells us more about attachment organization in the present than, uh, than I believe I could with the AI. That is so interesting. And I, gosh, I, I'm wondering about Pat Ogden um, and sensory motor psychotherapy. Um, is there any overlap at all, the things that she talks about yeah. that you see in the body? Yeah, we've worked together. Um, well, I know and, she uh, was in Alan Shore's group that you mentioned earlier. I don't know if you were in it at the same time, but it was just... I was uh, there with Dan Siegel, Lou uh, Cosolino. Mm -hmm. um, but, but Pat and I have worked together, and, uh, and Peter Levine and I uh, uh, are very attracted to each other's work. Um, uh, there are a lot of uh, you know, ways that this dovetails. Um, we use a lot of Paul Ekman stuff, uh, facial action coding system. Um, we use uh, a, a lot of strategic and structural family systems. This is a very strategic approach, um, you know, where the therapist is, 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 is trying to be clever. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and all of this is to elicit uh, more reliable markers, which are uh, the unprepared, uh, reflexive, automatic uh, re reactions of individuals that can that will repeat again and again. Those are more stable um, than narrative. Narrative lies. Narrative changes. Um, narrative I find uh, is too unreliable uh, on its own. And there's a reason for that. Uh, if you understand how the brain works, uh, the uh, narrative is often divorced from implicit memory. And, uh, and uh, uh, in the absence of knowing what we're doing, which is most of the time we don't know what we're doing because real time is too fast, uh, the brain is constantly confabulating. Uh, 
So you're getting, you're getting um, made up stuff by people uh, who uh, fill in the blank because they don't really know. And then they come up with what's logical, but it's usually wrong. Well, in a way, um, this, in a way, that's kind of why the AAI works, because you have to be in the present, reflect on the past, bring forward that data, be in the present, right. reflect on the past. So it, you get caught up in the yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great. I mean, I uh, like you. We talked before. Um, you know, like you, I found it. Uh, you know, like uh, having right. a root canal uh, doing it <laughs> um, uh, because us clinicians are much more in tuned with people in the present, in the in the in the physical, not reading right literature, right, and coding right, it. right. Yes, but it did change the way I thought. Right, right, right. So, so much so, so much so, Karen, uh, we now use Rice's maxims as a way to detect deception. Well, I saw in your article, I have one of your articles about the partner attachment inventory when you go into Grace's maxims. And they are, we, we don't have time to do that, but they are fascinating. And I was, re I'm like, that makes so much sense. I mean, that you could use Grace's maxims that way. If you're looking for, for collaborative speech, if you're looking for people who are collaborative and cooperative, the way they talk uh, will also show you if they are collaborative or not, mm -hmm. um, um, right? Uh, uh, whether they're being clear, uh, whether the quality, right, quantity, uh, uh, manner, and relevance of what they're saying is, uh, is on target to interact with another person. And it's also a nifty way to see patterns of deception when people are not being truthful. Yeah. Uh, it turns out to be a, a good, uh, you know, along with other measures, a good way to determine whether someone is lying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, I'm going to out myself here. D did you write about this? Because uh, I reread uh, Wired for Love, and I don't remember. Did you write about this in there? No. Okay, because, good. I'm like, because, what, why are you like not even like? I, I know that book doesn't contain your whole body of work or anything, but I'm just sort of like, okay, this is. It's, like, it's a popular book. It's not written for the clinician. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, you know, all this other stuff is written, uh, you know, either in papers and yes. there's, there's a lot that has to be written still. Up. Journal articles and 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 other uh, scientific things. So so. And the pack manual. Okay, so that's an, so. If somebody goes to because I know, I know if I'm this intrigued by this, that lots of people listening are super intrigued. Oh, it's so much fun by this. I mean, your whole all your work, but this particular aspect that we're talking about right now too. Um, so if they go to pack training, they learn that. Yeah, protocol if, that you're yes. describing. Yes, it does take a while to learn this because it's a polytheoretical approach, and so there, people are learning about attachment arousal regulation uh, theory, uh, uh, neuroscience, uh, uh, object relations, uh, social justice theory. We're big on that. Um, trance, uh, Ericksonian trance work, uh, psychodrama. Very big on psychodrama. Right. Um, uh, right, and and uh, strategic and and structural systems. To name a few, uh, this is really pulling together a lot of different uh, ways of working, but but organized in a very concise container mm -hmm. uh, of a goal called secure functioning. 
which means that we expect partners, regardless of their organization, regardless of their personality, regardless of trauma, to operate as a two-person psychological system that's fair, just, and sensitive. Shared power, um, uh, right? And that that is how they have to operate. It's a very oriented towards social justice, which, uh, which is a better container uh, for people's behavior than simple therapy which can take forever. Uh, this is uh, based on uh, uh, what you guys have to do now in order to be safe and secure or don't and suffer the consequences. So that's what you're talking about right now in terms of optimal is reminding me a little bit of the couple bubble yeah. idea. Would you mind sharing a little about that? Sure. So you and I are a couple, which makes us a primary attachment system, which means that, um, that we are uh, uh, resources for each other energetically, right? Going back to Mahler, we refuel each other on a daily basis. Um, we are like cop car partners. Um, we are joined together, interdependent, um, based on an idea that together we survive and thrive a dangerous life and environment, or we are no better off uh, than if we were alone. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, the couple bubble means that you and I have each other's backs. Uh, we protect each other in public and private. We're the go-to people. We decide who gets into the system and takes resources and who doesn't. Um, we are uh, uh, We are at the top of the food chain. We're governors of everybody and each other. Uh, and we have to come up with secure or, or shared principles of governance to protect us from each other. And this is based on basically the human condition, having nothing to do with attachment, nothing to do with personality, but the raw uh, information we know about the human primate, which is basically good luck. <laughs> we're, we're by nature warlike, xenophobic, moody, uh, fickle, uh, changeable, always aware of what's missing and what we don't have, comparing and contrasting what could possibly go wrong. So in order to function, we have to make agreements. And those agreements protect us from each other, and they have to be win-win. They have to, be, have to serve a personal and a mutual good. That's where we get into social justice theory. And this is the only recipe for a long, a long term, long and happy relationship. There is no other way. So I really like what you're saying about that. Um, Cause it's sort of a non judgmental stance on this is just the condition and, right. and to protect each other, you know, all of this aside, whatever history, trauma, whatever attachment, you know, this is just the reality when it comes down to it, all that's interesting. You still got to do this or you're screwed. Um, I, would, I, I could see people really responding well to that, though. They do. Because it's common sense. It's not, about, uh, it's not about pathology, psychology. It's not about trauma. It's about, um, you know, a reality of survival. Um, you know, we, we take this from people that we see on the street, uh, people with, uh, with severe mental illness, and we see them doing it. They're crazy. Mm -hmm. They're crazy, but they protect each other. Yes. Um, they have each other's backs. We see this in all areas where people understand that that is a necessary condition for survival. And so it is a reason uh, at bottom to uh, behave um, 
uh, with each other in a dyadic situation uh, because any other system uh, will be too unfair and will start to accrue uh, threat. Threat yes. being threat being the, the, the biggest problem, uh, the biggest killer of, uh, of relationships in the end. The inability to co-regulate distress. Right. right. So could you speak a little bit to, I'm shifting gears a little bit here, about object, the influence of object relations theory and um, how, you know, I went to a training once, a fellow uh, Kenny Miller colleague, and was showing this assessment between parents and children. And these were older children. They could be five, six, seven. And when we would put a blanket over the mother, they and I'm talking significant. These are kids that have orphanage care. These are kids with severe trauma and foster. We they really did not seem to think the mother was still there if we put her under a blanket, even at right. these older ages. So that's kind of something I have, you know, in my mind. I'm, I'm sure it's much different than that, but I'm just kind of curious um, what, 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 what pieces that you bring into the couple relationship. Well, that, I mean, that seems very Piagetian. Uh, a, uh, yes, a that's true too. A, a developmental cognitive delay yes. of, of conservation. But he was saying they didn't have permanence and constancy in themselves or with others. Right. That's right. But, yeah. but you're right. There is a Piaget concept there too. Right. That's pretty severe. <laughs> <laughs> For an older child to have the mother covered up in a blanket and mother's not there, that's pretty severe. That's it. That that falls under the the area of uh, deficit. Yes. Yes. Right. That's a yes. that's a that's a yes. deficit there. Yes. Yeah. So, what was your question? I'm sorry. So how object relations theory uh, relates to the you've you've mentioned it several times that it's yeah. a it's a part of how you developed your pact model, and I I was just wondering if you could speak specifically to that before we. Start sure. to wind down today. <laughs> so, so object relations theory is necessary for uh, for cases that are more complex. Attachment uh, is not robust enough to deal with personality disorders or trauma. Um, it's good, but it's not enough. Um, you need a bigger, better boat. You need uh, a more, uh, some might say, erudite, but more complex model to uh, understand what could be going on inside that person and what tools you could use to help them out. So I find that American object relations uh, in particular is uh, very useful in couples because it's, it, it's, it's basically ego psychology. It's focusing on ego function. Um, and uh, in that, if the ego, if the ego function is in good order, then the self becomes uh, healthy. Um, if you have a poor reality ego, then you have uh, either false self issues or problems with the self. Uh, you know, identity diffusion, borderline states, and so on. So, uh, so uh, American object relations basically is uh, saying that we cannot reparent you, um, but we can help you grieve what you've lost because you've lost. And part of growing up is grieving and understanding what you've lost uh, and then now activating the self to do different, right? Uh, to be your own self, right? So uh, very much in the Malarian idea of individuation. Um, different from British object relations, which I won't get into. So I'm enamored by it because it does set a tone for a therapeutic stance to expect partners to behave properly to do the right thing over doing the wrong thing and exploring why they do the wrong thing and spending a lot of time on that. It's not 
uh, it's not that that's thrown out, but the emphasis is in is on you. Uh, you cannot do that, or you will suffer. Um, behaviors, acting out behaviors, behaviors that are that are oriented towards a one-person system are self-destructive, self-harming, and are interpreted as such. So we're constantly pushing people toward uh, toward a better ego function, reality ego basically doing the right thing over what feels good. Um, and there's a neurobiological component here that we could get into of uh, structurally, functionally, what is happening in the brain when we allow people to act out without, uh, with, you know, without confronting them. So basically, um, in PACT, acting out behavior is confronted. Um, uh, even when we're dealing with narcissistic uh, uh, disorders, um, we have ways of confronting them in the system um, that bypasses the, uh, the um, extreme uh, narcissistic vulnerability uh, defense that, uh, that will get you fired. So we have ways of dealing with it. Basically, um, being able to specialize in couples, uh, it's the number that makes it special two people that you're dealing with allows us to do things we can't do if we only had one person. We can't get away with if we add another person in the room. Um, it's too strategic and we're using uh, the, pheno the, the phenomenolo phenomenology of a dietic system to basically trick them, to basically uh, 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 do things uh, with smoke and mirrors that gets them to move development forward. I know that sounds very vague, mm -hmm. but, um, but it turns out to be a magic number uh, in terms of what interventions we can use um, and we can't use in any other, in any other modality. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Gosh, this has just been so interesting. Um, and you sometimes, um, I'm reflecting back earlier about uh, the the microanalysis. You sometimes even use video you yeah. in the treatment too, correct? Yes. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's not just times. microanalysis for you. <laughs> right. No, no. There are key times when it's played back. So for instance, that stress test, uh, you know, the movement exercise, proximity, uh, distancing, and so on, um, that's played back to them immediately after. Um, uh, so, uh, so I can make use of their short-term memory and collaborate with them because they can error correct me. Um, you know, cameras don't always tell the truth. So uh, you get this correction and also uh, a, a, a nice collaboration on interpretation uh, when everyone's watching. So we can take the video and go frame by frame. We can go slow motion, fast motion, go backwards, and and then people will see how elegant, um, you know, the body is and how these movements are and that they're not personal. You know, one of the things with attachment is that people in couples with attachment, they take everything personally, and they, and they think that all of these behaviors have to do with love. They don't realize it has nothing to do with love. Mm -hmm. It only has to do with reflexes that, uh, that protect the, that person um, based on their memory. That's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the person who cries on withdrawal uh, is, uh, would do it with anybody. <laughs> the person who feels better when the partner leaves the room would do that with anybody. Mm. It's not about the partner themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it, the playback is very helpful for uh, opening the aperture and getting them uh, off of their petty theories. 
um, <laughs> uh, which is always pro-self and never pro-relationship. Uh-huh. So the, the feedback is very powerful. Uh, people will do things that are threatening with their face and their body. They don't believe it. Play it back. They see it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, I'm seeing we're, we are out of time. Um, oh, well, that was fun. I see that we are, and I could talk to you for hours, but um, I know you don't have hours to offer, obviously. Um, so I want to make sure we give time come to, for people come to, to, one of our, come to Come to one of our trainings. I love it. Well, yes, that's what I want. I want everyone to hear, like, I, I you have a website, yeah. you have, your website is great. It has all kinds of trainings. It has a section for your scientific papers, as well as mention of your general consumption books um, that, that we mentioned on here, The Wired for Love. What else? Where, if, if people are like, oh, I gotta get more of this, how should they find you and your work? Um, people can go to thepactinstitute.com, P-A-C-T, institute.com, um, and there they'll find uh, the scheduling of the trainings we do uh, in and around the world. Uh, but we also do couples retreats, and the couples retreats turn out to be very powerful for clinicians um, because it's a way to learn a lot of the stuff we're doing in the background as, as therapists, but to get it on the front end, to be uh, on the other side of the experience with your partner and to uh, do a lot of things that we, we do actually in, in the clinic. So uh, people can find uh, the schedules for that uh, online. We do a bunch of them in the country and every now and then every year we do one in Europe and next year I think it's Tuscany. Wow. Well, that would be some nice places to go. So yeah, it is. It's that. great. It's always great. <laughs> That's great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again for your time today. And thank this you, was Karen. just such a fascinating interview. And I know our listeners are loving it. So thank you. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attachment Theory in Action.